There is something about the name of God that changes everything. We call him Father, Savior, Lord, Friend. But here is a question for you. Do you know the personal names of God? Names that hold the weight of his character, qualities, significance. Names that resonates with mankind, showing us what he's like and who he is. The ancient world called him Yahweh. For how else can you describe, explain or introduce the I Am? But the world has turned. And in turning now ascribes power to names with no eternal essence. Names that scream for attention, persuasion, acceptance, even worship. But I tell you, now is the time for us, the church, to wake up and also begin to call him Yahweh. For he is Adonai, the Lord. Elion, the Most High God. Elulam, the God of ancient days. There is something about that name. He is Jireh, our provider. Rafa, our healer. Nisi, our banner. Sekinum, our righteousness. Rohi, our shepherd. Shalom, our peace. Yeshua. Our salvation. Oh, there is something about that name. He is the way maker, the morning without cloud, the rock that is higher than I, strong deliverer, kingsman redeemer, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the strength of the children of Israel. about that name, Yahweh. Hallelujah, good morning, good morning. Woo! Let me ask you, how do you know him this morning? How do you know him this morning? Do you know him as Yahweh? Do you know him as Jehovah Jireh, our provider? Do you know him as your healer? 
Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as your prince of peace? Do you know him as your firm foundation? Do you know him as your anchor for your soul? Do you know him this morning? Let me ask you, how do you know him? Do you know our king this morning? Do you know him? He's the joy of our salvation. He is our healer. He's our provider. He's the anchor and the, the hope and the joy of our salvation. Do you know him this morning? Woo! Wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! As Mr. Bob has said multiple times, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Hallelujah. Wow, wow. Well, good morning. Good morning. Hallelujah. Thank you. Well, Pastor Zach and Pastor Heather, as you might have uh, seen, are out this morning. Uh, they are on vacation. They are enjoying some much-needed relaxation, refreshing uh, times of hearing from the Lord, times of uh, family. So uh, we just want to honor them this morning, and uh, it's an honor and a privilege, privilege to be here. Uh, this morning. So we're praying for you. They're praying for us. And uh, they, are, they are missing us, but they are also enjoying uh, some refreshing. So we want to honor them this morning as well. Hallelujah. Woo. Woo. Do you know him? Wow, wow, wow. Okay. I, I promise this morning I'm going to try to stick to my notes. Hallelujah. So uh, this morning we're going to be talking about worship. We're going to be talking about worship, rooted and pure worship, rooted and pure worship, authentic worship. What does it look like? What does it mean? How are we acting? How are we walking in that? So we're going to, we're going to take a little journey here. So this morning, we're going to flip to our first scripture, John 4, 24. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. So what I pulled and saw from the scripture was that there's two portions to biblical worship. There's worship in spirit and there's worship in truth. So to be firmly rooted in worship, to be firmly rooted in worship, in biblical worship, we must worship in both ways, in spirit and in truth. In purity, they work hand in hand together. They work hand in hand together. So we can't be full of all spirit and worship in all spirit and have no truth, right? We, we've seen, I've seen multiple times where, you know, we've, we've seen the people who, and they, and they worship God, bless them, it's awesome, and, you know, I'm sure that their heart is pure and right and all that, but they worship in full spirit, but they, but they have the very shallow depth of the truth, right? So they're so focused on the Spirit, and every once in a while you can see them, and they go, whoop, whoop. And because their roots are not dug deep, if we're not careful, if our roots are not dug deep in worship, if our, words, if our roots are not dug deep in the Word, if our roots are not dug deep and realize, again, the anchor of our soul is Jesus, then, then we can be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that comes out, right? And there's a lot of those that are floating around. There's a lot of them that are floating around. On the other side, we can't be all truth and no spirit, right? We can't be all truth and no spirit. We begin to look a little pharisaical at that point because we have so much knowledge that we decide to just get fat and happy, 
right? We decide to get a little fat and a little happy, and we sit there, and we, we can have all the knowledge, and we can quote all the scriptures, and we have the knowledge, and we have the depth, and we have the understanding, and we have all of those things, which is great. But we don't allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. We don't allow ourselves, we're, we're so caught up in our heads, in our knowledge. We're so boastful about what we know that we forget to step out of the way and allow the Spirit to move. So the beautiful thing is the fact that we have this opportunity to worship in spirit and in truth, to be led by the Spirit but have the depth of our roots where they're supposed to be. I looked up the word truth because you know, I gotta, I gotta figure out. I gotta figure out what what is Scripture really trying to say. Scripture is great at face value, but there's there's something a little special about it when you dig a little deeper. When 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 you, when you when you look at the origins, when you look at the roots, when you when you when you study the Word, there's something that's just a little more special about it. The 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 Scripture can speak to you a little bit deeper if we just take the time. So truth, aletheia, aletheia is the word, and, and, and it, it has a, a few meanings here. It has a few different things. Objectively, what is true in any matter under consideration and what is true pertaining to God and the duties of man, moral and religious truth? Subjectively, truth as personal excellence in mind that is free from pretense, simulation, falsehood, and deceit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, so we have to worship without deceit in our hearts. We have to worship without deceit in our minds. We have to worship in truth from all pretense, no simulation, allowing the Spirit to move and being 100%. See, the beautiful thing, when we walk in Spirit and in truth, when we allow them to do this holy dance, when we allow them to work hand in hand together, We're allowed ourselves to be led by the Spirit, but at the same time being 100% assured of who Christ is. We're 100% assured of why we're worshiping. We're 100% assured of exactly who He is. So in all reality, this word truth translates as reality. Reality. Right, We have a lot of things in life that want to speak in, and we have a lot of faucets that are turned on, and we have the news, and we have the media, we have Facebook, we have, oh Lord, we have Facebook, we got social media. We've got all these different faucets that are turned on, but the truth, the reality of who Christ is comes from digging into the Word. It comes from stepping out of the way. It comes from yielding to Christ. It comes from allowing our roots to be dug deep in exactly who Christ is. And when we're able to do that, there's all of a sudden a purity that arises in our hearts. There's a purity that arises, an authenticity that arises in our worship. There's an authenticity that arises in the way that we walk out our lives. There's an authenticity and a purity of the way that we can come before the Lord because we're allowing ourselves to be moved and led by the Spirit, but we're doing so with the reality and knowledge of exactly who Christ is. 
He's our Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our redeemer. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's our he's the joy of our salvation. He's the anchor. He's the chief cornerstone. He's our king. He is El Shaddai. He's our prince of peace. He is everything that we could ever need. The reality of who Christ is when we worship him and when we come into the truth and the reality of who he is, there's something special that transpires in our worship. We're going to go ahead and flip over now to Romans 12. We're going to flip over to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing... How many of y'all know that there's going to be testing that comes in life? There's going to be some testing that comes in life. But by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So my question this morning, one of my questions for you this morning is, are we allowing ourselves to be transformed? Are we allowing a transformation process to take place? Are we allowing us and ourselves, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to take us from the old nature? Are we allowing ourselves to be transformed? And we can be transformed daily. This isn't just something that happens in church on Sunday morning, right? The, the Sunday morning, and I, I, uh, the voices are so loud, like the pastors always talk about, like we can, yes, yes, we can hear you. Yes, so, so I want to encourage you that, yes, Sunday morning is great. It is, it is the gathering together of believers, but Sunday morning is the culmination of what happens throughout your week. What is happening throughout your week? There's a different level of expectation. There's a different level of something that happens within the house when we all come together as a unified body. There's something together when we, uh, when we don't forsake the gathering together of ourselves, as Scripture has said, right? There's something that happens, but there's even something more that happens when we're able to come with expectation because Sunday morning is an overflow of what happens in our week. Are we worshiping during our week? Are we reading during the week? Are we studying during the week? Are we spending time with Jesus during the week to come together to minister to one another, to pour out? Are we allowing transformation? I I think about a butterfly in in the whole transformation process. I think about a butterfly, right? And it starts out as like a weird little caterpillar looking bug, right? And it just goes along and, and all of a sudden it goes away and it hides. Where'd the caterpillar go? Well, it got wrapped up in a cocoon. And then it and then and then within the cocoon, you know, it's amazing. It it, it turns to this mushy, weird stuff. Right? Like it's not pretty. It's definitely not pretty. But then but then what happens? When when the transformation is taking place, the the caterpillar would never be able to turn into what it is called and supposed to and created to be had it not been willing to get into the cocoon wrapped up in the arms of Christ, wrapped up in what you're created for, and allow yourself to be transformed. Allow the goo to happen. That's a Facebookable right there. Hashtag allow the goo to happen, right? 
but allow it to happen. And, and a lot of times we try to rush through the process. We try to rush through the process, but trust the transformation process. Second question is, are we renewing our minds through personal prayer and devotion? Or are we being conformed to the world? Are we allowing ourselves to be tossed to and fro for the things that are speaking into our lives? When we get out of the way, when we yield, when we allow the knowledge of him and his word, the truth, the reality of Christ, right? The truth, those who know the truth, truth will set you free. There's freedom in truth. There's freedom in truth. When we allow spirit and truth to perform a holy dance, we find ourselves in a place of worship that is not only rooted, that's not only authentic, but it's pure. There's a purity that comes because we're allowing the Lord to do this. And he's leading. And we're taking one step at a time. We're taking one step at a time. We're being led in worship. But we have, again, the reality of who Christ is. So we have the knowledge. Our roots are deep. David was a great example of authentic, pure, and rooted worship. David was a great example. If we flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16, we read of the account of David being anointed by Samuel. And verses 6 through 7 says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not, the Lord does not see, uh, the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. God doesn't look for the stature of your worship. Someone's going to catch that here by the end of the day. God does not look at the stature of your worship. God does not look at how flashy you are or how polished you are or how big you show up or how, how much we jump around and how much we dance and how much we shout. And yes, all those things are wonderful. And we, we, we like David said, I'll become even more undignified than this, right? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. I'm going to worship. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, but that God doesn't look for the flashy. He doesn't look for the stature. He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And yes, again, you know, as, as we always say on the, you know, the worship team, right? Like we expect excellence. There's a spirit of excellence that we should have because we're doing it under God. There, there's a spirit of excellence when we read our Bible. There's a spirit of excellence that we should have when we worship at home. There's a spirit of excellence that we should have when we walk in our workplace or when we're with our family or when we're with our friends or our coworkers. It doesn't matter. There's a spirit of excellence and putting in our due diligence, but the purity of worship flows from the heart. The purity of worship is an overflow of our relationship with Christ. See, David was brought from the field. The one who was out tending the sheep. 
right? So we read the account and we see all these big dudes. And they're mighty in stature and they're tall and they're probably real built and they're, they're warriors. And they're probably a lot more muscly than I am. I know it's hard to believe, but they probably are. You know, and we get this picture of these warriors and the guy's like, nope. Nope. No. <gasps> no. So he's going through and no, 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 no. David was brought in from the field, the one who was out tending to the sheep. The youngest of the family, the smallest of the family, but the one that was chosen by God. The one that was chosen by God. Y'all want to get a deeper relationship with God. Y'all want to get a deeper relationship with, the, with worship. Y'all want to dive in and have your life truly revolutionized. Go out and tend the sheep. Go out and tend the sheep. It ain't about this. It's not about this stage. It's not about the platform. It's not about how much you're heard. It's about doing the work of God. What has he called you to do? What field has he called you to be out in? What sheep has he called you to tend? And, and sheep is not just the people in the body. Okay, the sheep, 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 you're a leader, right? If one person is following you, you're a leader, right? Tend the sheep. Be about the Lord's business, And I want to encourage somebody this morning. I want to encourage somebody this morning that no one, no one can knock off, knock out, or discredit what the Lord has anointed. Somebody here this morning or somebody watching online, you felt so discredited. You felt so discredited. I can't do this. Maybe, maybe somebody has told you you can't do it. Maybe you've believed the lie of the enemy and said, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too washed up, I don't know enough, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the training. But I want to encourage you this morning. What God has anointed what God has anointed cannot be knocked off. Follow, follow the leading of the Lord. Follow the leading of the Spirit. What God has anointed, step into it. I think that's a word for somebody here, step into it. Today is a day of stepping into it. If God's anointed, you walk, do, action, rise. Rise this morning. And then we keep reading on in 1 Samuel. We don't, I, I don't have time to read all of the scriptures, but I'll give you a little highlight here. 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 21. We read of the fact that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. My Lord. I read that and it hit me just a little different. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. God, let let not your spirit ever depart from me. Let let not your anointing ever depart from me. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It says a harmful spirit was tormenting him. And guess who he sent for? Sent for David. 
Not the big muscly dudes. Not the ones that came in flashy. Not the ones who were super tall. Not the ones who would look the part to deal with somebody who was being tormented by a spirit. Not the bouncer. The sheep tender. He played well, and he was referred to as skilled, which I find absolutely awesome. Again, the anointed of God. Played well, was referred to as skilled, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, saying that the Lord is with him. David played, and what happened when David played was the harmful spirit departed from Saul, and Saul was refreshed, and he was well. He was refreshed and he was well, not because of the fact that David was, again, flashy, not because of the fact that he thought he had it all together, but because of the fact that David had a purity in heart. David had a purity in his worship. David had a purity in a relationship with Christ while he was out there tending the sheep. What else do you have to do when you're sitting out there by yourself with a whole bunch of sheep? Pray, worship, practice. But he did it with excellence and he did it with diligence as unto the Lord. David didn't come in again all flashy and from, from a place of I know it all and a place of I have it all together. It's so funny being a musician. <laughs> I know, there's, the, there's a joke there. Drummers aren't musicians. I guess I get it. Uh, but... <laughs> But, uh, you know, being a, being a musician, the, the Sunday that I think I have it all together, <laughs> Pastor Grace is laughing because she knows. The Sundays that I come in here and I think I got it all together, I've rehearsed, I got this, I'm going to nail it, and I come in here, I'm like, yes, I got this. It's the exact same Sunday where God's like, hey, watch this. And it's like crash and burn, man. Like, it all falls apart. It's like a train wreck. It's awesome. It's awesome. The Lord has a way of keeping us humble and pure in our worship. Right? Pure in our worship. Pure in our worship. But David didn't come in flashy. He came in a place of intimacy with the Lord and of purity in worship. Purity in worship. He was worshiping in spirit and in truth. Because he had a knowledge in an intimacy, he tasted and saw that the Lord was good. He knew exactly who he was worshiping. He knew exactly who he was playing for. When he was called up, he wasn't called up to play for Saul. He was called up to play for the Lord, and Saul got the benefit. He was utilized. His worship for the Lord was utilized to transform the situation that he walked into. And I want to let you know today, when you, when you have a purity of worship, when you have an intimacy with the Lord, God will use the worship that he's called you to do to him to change the atmosphere and to change the situation, to change your family, to change the report when you walk in because of the fact that God in you, the reputation of the Lord in you, just like the reputation of the Lord in David, and they said, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with you. When your heart is full of pure worship and set on him and allowing the dance, you won't have to announce who you are. You won't have to announce who you are. How many times do you think Jesus walked into a room and had to announce who he was? I, 
I don't think very many. I don't think very many. I read of countless stories of him, you know, of him showing up and, and people just gravitating towards him. I read of plenty of stories of, you know, him walking up and even the demons falling and trembling because they knew who he was. And, and I read plenty of stories of when he just sat down in a chair and it ruffled all the feathers of all the religious people. And, you know, I, I read of all these stories of that, but I, I don't recall Jesus fully announcing, hey, guys, I'm Jesus. He walked in the authority of his father. He walked in purity. He walked in truth when he stepped into the room because God is with him and he was God. When he walked into the room, when you walk into the room with Christ, there is no introduction that is needed. There is no introduction that is needed because God, when God shows up on the scene, everything has to change. Everything changes. The reputation of God in David preceded him. So when, and I love this quote, and I, I promise this is going to be my last thought, and I'm going to turn it over, um, is that, so we're reading this book called The Reset. I love it. Who, who's the author? Jeremy Riddle. I can never remember his name. I don't know why. I can never remember his name. Well, he was even a guest on Bethesda. It was awesome. It was phenomenal. And I'm like, after the class, I was like, wait, who was that guy again? Squirrel. Okay, so we, we've been reading this book, and I love it. I read, I read a few of these quotes here, and, and I just wanted to share them with you guys here. And he said, when purity comes on the scene, it arrests the room. It strikes the deepest chord. When purity shows up on the scene, it arrests the room. Y'all, y'all ever been in a room or on a scene and have a, have a policeman walk into the room? It, it's like, oh, <laughs> hey, how's it going? Right, there's a, there's a sense of authority that shows up. I can always tell a difference in the atmosphere as well. When, when, and not, not to, it is not about the man or the woman, it is about the calling and the anointing on their life. But I can always tell, even if, I'm, even if I'm in the back, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm upstairs, whatever, I can tell when our pastors show up into the room because they carry the anointing with them. They carry the purity with them. When purity enters the scene, it arrests the room and it strikes the deepest chord. It's not about the skin level. It's not about the skin level. It's about the deep chord. And then the second one is purity isn't powerful because it's overbearing or because it's forceful. In fact, there is no striving in it. It's powerful simply because it is. Purity isn't, it isn't forceful. It doesn't come in and brag. It doesn't come in and say, look at me. Purity is not striving. If anything, it's when we get on our knees, when we allow the purity of Christ to arrest us, to arrest our heart, to arrest our very being. When purity shows up on the scene, it arrests the room. It arrests the room. There's no striving. It's simply powerful because it is. 
So um, I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to Pastor Grace. Bless the Lord. If y'all want to welcome her this morning. I love that. Purity arrests the room. There's something about when Jesus comes on the scene, when that, when that presence comes on the scene, that it changes things. And you just have to notice. And I, I love the, the picture of the, you know, when a police officer walks in. How many of y'all know, like, when you're driving down Route 8 and there's a police officer and then all of a sudden everyone's going 35 on, the, on Route 8 and you're like, there must be a police officer. <laughs> Um, but there's, there's something, it captures our attention and it causes us to look inward and it causes us to reflect and it causes us to look at who, who we are. You know, it causes us to be called higher, right? The authority comes in and it shifts inside of us. All of a sudden we look at ourselves and we see, we see the areas that, 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 don't align with that purity. And what I love, I love, you know, Brandon talked about David and his worship and how he worshiped in, in spirit and in truth. And the thing about David, the thing about David is that he was a man of the word of God. He was so filled with the word and the presence. I mean, he wrote how many of the psalms he wrote so much of what, what we read. He knew the Father. He knew, intimately knew, who Jesus was. Because he had been there, because he had taken the time. He didn't, he didn't sit there and twiddle his thumbs when he could have. He went after God. He made it his life's business to be in God's presence. And because of that, we get the benefit. We get the benefit of looking at this life. And it wasn't a, it, you know, he walked in purity, but he had some issues, right? Read about David and his life. He had some issues, but he was still used and he was still called. He was still used regardless of his issues because he kept returning to the place of purity. When he stepped out in that sin, when he stepped out in, into those areas, purity came on the scene and he said, oh no, forgive me, Lord, I repent. He didn't stay there. He didn't stay puffed up in his pride of, Oh, you know, it's fine. It's not that bad. It was just a little bit, you know. He humbled himself. And he said, God, I'm not worthy of all that you've done. I'm not worthy. But yet, you allow me to still come. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But David was a man of the word of God. He had it in his belly. And so I want to look at Psalms 1, 1 through 3. And they're going to put it up here on, in the Passion Translation. And, you know, Brandon talked about where the worship team and, and some others are, are doing this really amazing Bethesda class. Um, 
And the other day, we had a class where we um, we just took a moment and, and journaled and wrote out Psalms 1, 1 through 3, and it, it Im- impacted me in such a way that I've never, I've never seen it. You know, this is one that's been preached on and taught. You know, I've been in church most of my life, and so, you know, I've heard it before, but it was one of those things that God just captured my attention, and so it, it, it stuck with me, and I want to talk a little bit about that this morning um, and how it relates to our sanctification. We're going to use that big word. But it says, what delight comes to the one who follows God's ways? He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found in the scorner's seat. His passion is to remain true to the word of I am, meditating day and night on the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, and ever prosperous. Man, what a promise that is. I love it. But if you notice, it says his passion is to remain true to the word of I am, meditating day and night on the true revelation of light. It says meditating day and night. Because how many of you know our walk with God, our, even our, our feelings about God and our feelings about um, all of the things that, that God is calling us to, our feelings about the word of God, our feelings about worship, they change from moment to moment, Right? If y'all are like me, at 6 a.m., you're not feeling it. You're feeling the snooze button. And you say, I feel like I want to go to sleep. I want to rest. Where's that, where's that scripture about rest? And at noon, you might be a little distracted because you're like, oh, I am hungry. I need some food, right? And you're thinking about that. And then at, at, the, and then it's at 8 p.m., you're thinking, oh, it's getting time for bed. You know, you, you get into these things of, of, you get into life and your feelings and your life looks different from moment to moment. That, our lives don't look the same. You know, if you, if you I like to say, you know, if, if God had a, uh, had a, had just a like, here's the here's what you got to do all day, every day. And he just had your your day all planned out. And he had it at the beginning of the Bible. Y'all open it up and you said, okay, it says here at 6 a.m. every morning I have to uh, brush my teeth and I have to say my prayers. And then at 7 o'clock exactly I have to eat all of my food and this is my uh, menu. And then um, at 8 o'clock uh, if I have kids, then I have to get them ready for school and I have to get them off to school. And then, um, but if I don't have kids, I got to get ready for work, and I got to go to work today. We don't have that, right? Do y'all, I mean, do y'all have that in your Bible? I don't have that. God didn't give us a, a, a detailed list of how our day should look and how we should feel about it. He knew that every day was going to be a little bit different, 
Every day was going to have a little bit more challenges and a little different feel. Some days were going to be good days. Some days were going to be bad days. We are going to have seasons of joy and over and happiness and, and abundance, and we're going to have seasons of grief. Right? Our walk with the Lord looks different moment by moment. But the thing that shouldn't change is our meditating. And there's a reason. We're called to meditate in this day and night, not stopping, not stopping this word. You know, Hebrews 4.12, it says, this word is a living and active word, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word, this word is our cornerstone. This is what we've built our life on. When, we, when we're called to walk through this day, these days and to worship in spirit and in truth, we're called in the midst of a, a world that's unsettled and changing. You know, we're called in that. And if we, if we look at the world, it's like Brandon said, we're going to get tossed to and fro and everything's going everything's gonna to catch our brain. We're going to, you know, it's squirrel. Everything's going to, you know, we always laugh, you know, before, <laughs> y'all going to get the inside for a minute. But, you know, when we're here worship practicing, <laughs> we get a little distracted sometimes. And uh, we have to shut these doors, you know, these big double doors. And and someone always comes at some point and opens them too early. And, you know, it's funny because all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, there's a person that walked by. Oh, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, I got my, my, my way is now distracted. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't know if y'all saw the video on uh, Facebook, but Pastor Zach uh, posted a video about, you know, the way maker, miracle worker, but it was may maker, miracle worker. You know, you start saying the wrong lyrics and you're like, wait, where am I in the song? You know, the band's looking at me like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> you've got, because I've gotten distracted. Right? But if I shut the doors, that distraction goes away. This word of God, if this is where we're looking to, if this is who we're looking to, this word, this is the I am. This is Jesus. If this is who we're looking to and not to the world, we're going to find ourselves able to worship in spirit and truth, able to focus on what God is saying and speaking, and our ears will suddenly hear what he's speaking to us. But if we allow the doors to be open to all the world and all the waves and the, all the things around us, we're going to get a little distracted, right? The scripture calls us in every season, no matter what, to meditate day and night. Why? Because it's the key to unlocking the third verse where it says, He will stand firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of life, never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, and ever prosperous. As you begin to root yourself in the word of God and draw yourself unto him, 
you begin to walk in the promise, the promise that he has given to you. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we, who, whose eyes have been opened, you know, if you, if you have accepted Christ into your heart today, your face has been unveiled you have been, that veil has been torn away, and you now have access to the inner courts with Jesus. You have access to intimacy with him. He doesn't have to, you're not separated any longer. There's not a line that you can't go past. You can go all the way in, all the way in. You can go sit in his lap. In fact, I think he'd love for you to do that. We sing the song, I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hands, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heart beat. This love is so strong, more than I can stand. I melt in your peace, it's overwhelming. He's called you in. He's unveiled your face that you might behold him. That you might see him for who he is. That your eyes might be able to see just a glimpse, a glimmer of the depths and the heights of his love for you. He's given you Access. Who? That beholding that it's talking about is not just a one time thing. It doesn't say that one day we behold him and he takes away the veil and then we're good, right? It's beholding. It's an ongoing time and time again, an ongoing work. And that beholding turns into becoming, being transformed, which again is an ongoing work. There's the work of salvation that comes, the justification. He's given you the right to be called his. He's adopted you. That's a one time he, he did it. But there's more. Because there's an ongoing sanctification process of being transformed into the likeness of who he is. But how can we be transformed into his likeness if we don't behold him? If we don't know him? If we're not in this word, if we don't worship in spirit, and in the truth, if we don't let those two things kiss and come together in our lives, how can we truly know him? How can we truly know him? And I love this because it's good news that it's an ongoing work, right? Because that means none of us have arrived. Not anyone. Not even, not even you know, we look at the lives of the old dead people and we read their books and, you know, they're, they, they have 
lived, proven lives that we can look at and look as examples. You know, and we, not even Jonathan Edwards arrived until he crossed over into heaven, right? We are always becoming more like Christ this side of heaven. We are always being called higher and being transformed. You know, I, look, I used to look at the, the Bible and, and scriptures and the, um, you know, in high school and it would confuse me because it'd say, be holy as I am holy, you know, and, 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 and follow, follow Jesus as, as I follow him. And, you know, it seemed like this, this bar, that, this unattainable bar that no one could get to. And I would ponder and I'd say, Jesus, why would you set this? Why would you set this standard? Be holy. You know, what, is, what does that mean? Be holy. Then don't do anything wrong. Be holy as I am holy. How do we even walk that out? How? But when you look at it, Jesus, God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that he needed to set a goal for us. He needed to set something before us that we could run to. Because if we didn't have something we could run to, we'd wander aimlessly and get lost and get squirreled off the path and end up in the wrong way, right? This is not, you know, be holy as I am holy is not talking about sinless perfection. It's not talking about, you know, there's, there, there are people that preach that you can reach a point where you get to perfection and you have no longer sinned. And anytime I hear that, I'm like, ah, like that's not what my Bible says. I don't know. Like they take this one verse and they, they turn it into their whole doctrine. And I, I'm like, you yeah, forgot the rest of the Bible. Um, <laughs> It's not this carrot on a string that God's dangling in front of us, right? It's not a, he's not playing games with us saying, oh, here, come and, come and be holy. Try to be, try to be holy. Try to be like me. You know, he's saying, no, come a little higher. He's always setting before you a higher standard that you might become more like him. That you might be called higher and higher all the days of your life. If you Find yourself okay and complacent, like Pastor Angie said. That, man, that, that definition, whoo, that was a good definition. If you didn't catch it, go get the replay and write it down. But have you become okay? Have you become okay with where you're at, that you don't need more? Because that's not the life that we're called to lead. He's always calling us higher. We are always being transformed into his likeness. And it doesn't mean that everyone's journey looks exactly the same. It doesn't mean that everyone's on this exact same slope and trajectory. You know, you, you got the growth charts at the pediatrician's office, and they, you know, they've got this perfect curve that you're supposed to follow, but none of the kids do. We all have our own thing, because we all have seasons, right? We all have seasons that we walk through, seasons where God's calling us higher and it's going super fast. And then we got seasons where God's calling us to rest. But we are all being called higher. Andrew Murray says, and I think they're going to throw it on the screen, Indeed, the more sanctified the person is, the more conformed he is to the image of his Savior. 
the more he must recoil against every lack of conformity to the holiness of God. The deeper his apprehension of the majesty of God and the greater his, the intensity of his love to God, the more persistent his yearning for the attainment of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the more conscious he will be of the gravity of sin that remains and the more poignant will his detestation be of it. The more we are called to be like Christ, the, 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 the higher we go, the more we should look in and detest the sin that's inside of us. Because I don't know about you, but in my Bible it says that none are righteous but with Christ. None, all have sinned and fallen short. There's not a time in our lives until heaven that we have arrived, and so God is calling us higher, and as we are called higher, it should not give us this, this sense of pride and puffed up like, okay, I'm, I'm at level eight and you're at level six, so you better be called up higher. No! When we are more like him, when we behold him more and more, it should cause us to look inward at our own hearts. It should cause us to look inward at who we are and see the sin that still remains. My sin may look different than your sin, but there's still sin inside me, and God's still dealing with me. <laughs> He's still working on me. He's still working on me every day, every day until we reach heaven. Until we reach that day of the glorified body when no longer the sin separates us from him. He is calling you higher. He is calling you to more. He's not calling you to sit back and say, I've gotten to the level I'm good with. Yuck. He's calling you Higher, he's constantly beckoning you, saying, come, come a little bit closer. Come a little bit closer. The more you behold God, the more you become like God. And the more the parts of you that aren't like him begin to be pointed out. It stands out like a splash of bright red paint on a white wall. bright red paint on that white wall and you see it and it should cause you again to run to the altar and repent repent and it's not a I'm so terrible I'm never gonna make it I'm never gonna arrive it's a God I just need you more I just need you more that is true worship when you can look at yourself and know that you have fallen short again and again and again and that you need him. You need him to come and make a way for you. And you fall at his feet. And you fall at his feet. There's so much pride in the church today that they come in they come in and they say, I'm good, 
I've got my church clothes on. I've got my kids all came. You know, we, we looked like the devil in the car, but we came and we're here. And I'm going to sit here proper. And I've got my Bible. It's the thickest Bible I could find. And I worshiped, but not too extravagantly. And I'm good. And that's all the Jesus I need. Don't let that life consume me. Don't let that church thing consume my life. Don't let that Jesus thing take, take over everything. Because I got my life to live. I got my life to live. I got my friends to go see. And I got my things to go do. I, it's, that's for Sundays. Maybe on Wednesdays, because remember, I'm really holy. I'm really holy, so I'm coming more than once, right? Got to make sure. Jonathan Edwards said this. He says, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. As the business of the soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. It's our business to be like Christ. You look at Jesus at the age of 11. He, he, he wandered off without his parents, and then he said to his parents, why? Why, why, are you, why are you coming after me? I must be about my father's business. He knew that the most important thing that his life could be about was his father's business. That there was nothing else. So much so that he talked back to his mama and his daddy. Come on. Don't go talk back, y'all. At least not to Jesus. Our great concern should be to be like Christ. You know, you look at soldiers and, you know, I, I come from a long military history, a long military family and, and I look at the things that my uncles and my dad and all them have to do. And guys, I would not want them to just show up and not know what to do and be given the things that they're given and the access that they're given um, and just kind of like guess at it, right? Their job is to know how to be a soldier, they make it their job to study. There's, there's colleges of warfare. I don't even get that. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. There's colleges of war where they learn how to go to war. If soldiers go to college for war, how much more do we need to go to that college for the war of this world? Because we are in a war. We are in a war, and our great concern should be learning to become more like Christ. Our great concern should be pouring over this word and becoming more like him. But the thing of it is, we get distracted. We get distracted, and... Um, you know, I, I will confess that this has not always been 
the thing that I run to. This has not always been, I, I've been in church since, I, I mean, I got saved probably five times when I was two years old, y'all. I've been in church for a long time. I'm pretty sure I was in some church musical at, at three, you know. I mean, I've been around, but this has not always been what I've rooted my life on. I haven't always run to behold him. I found myself a lot of the times running to behold the things of this world. I found myself a lot of the times running running to things not of Christ, running to the very sin that captured me, that, that enslaved me. I, I love this John Piper quote. It says, sin is the suicidal exchange of infinite value and beauty for some fleeting, inferior substitute. We can run to so many things. We can run to so many things, even as Christians, even as Christians, we can find ourselves running to the things of this world. But when we run to this, when we run to this, that is when that promise comes. That promise, he will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season, never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, and ever prosperous. Our pleasure, our purpose, our desire, our longing, the thing which is most valuable to, to us, that is what the word delight means. Your pleasure, your purpose, your desire, your longing, that which is most valuable. And, and the word of God says to delight yourself. And who he is. Delight yourself in the word of God. And it says to meditate. That word meditate doesn't just mean a quiet contemplation. According to Strong's Concordance, it means to speak, to make a sound. Like the sound of a harp when struck. The sound of cooing doves. Let your tongue celebrate it. Actually roar his word. We are jealous for this word. And we are fighting for this word to be ours and to be alive. If you find yourself in a place where this is not your delight, because it happens. There are times when you look to the word of God and it seems dead. If that's where you are, I want to say it's okay. But it's time to be called higher. It's okay to come to Jesus where you're at and say, God, that word doesn't even come alive to me. I don't even know. I don't, I'm dropping my notes. Hallelujah. I don't even know. I, I read the words and they fall flat. My delight is not in your word. Help me. Help me because my delight should be in your word. Don't close off. So many times in my own walk, I would open the word and I'd say, okay, Jesus, I do the, you know, I mean, I think we learned this in junior high at some point. Someone taught someone. Just flip it open and God will speak to you, which he can and he does. But there's some intentionality that you got to get in there. Right? Especially when you're starting. Come on. Come on. You can't just flip to like Deuteronomy in the middle of the you know, the Old Testament where it gets a little intense and you really got to study it out. Like you can't. 
that may not speak the most life to you. <laughs> it has life, but there's life in the depths of that, right? Like you got to dig for some of those. Um, <laughs> I'm just getting real, y'all. Just getting real. But, but this word is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can cut. I love that picture. It can cut through bone and marrow, straight to the root of your issues. This can speak to the very heart of the thing that you may be going to counseling for and been running around the mountain for five years. This, this word will come and it will speak. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself, wow. Oh, there's freedom that I didn't know before. Because Jesus came and spoke. So if that's where you are, I just want to encourage you. The word meditate, it talks about meditating day and night. And, it, you know, Pastor Heather always gives the example of the cow chewing their cud. And, did, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I like the numbers and the math and all that kind of stuff. And so a cow spends nearly eight hours of their day chewing their cud. They chew it once, swallow it, bring it back up, chew it again so they can fully digest it. Okay, right? Like you look at that. If you look at that picture, a cow spends eight hours of their day chewing their cud. They only spend four hours a day asleep. Did you know that? I wish I had that superpower. But I do not. <laughs> but that says something to me. Twice as much as they rest, they meditate and chew and chew and chew. And then they chew it again. And then they chew it again. And then they chew it again. They don't open up the word and say, well, that didn't speak to me. I'm going to put it aside for another two weeks and try it again. They go back. And they go back. And they go back. And they're persistent because they know they need the nutrients of what they're chewing. They know they need it for their survival. And so they go after it again and again and again. Until it's fully digested. If you're in that place, go after it again and again. You know, I've taught preschool. I've taught all kinds of ages. And, and the key to things at that point in life is repetition. It really is. And I remember the first time someone said, well, you're going to do this. And then you're going to do this again on Wednesday, even though you did it on Monday. And then you're going to do it a little different on Thursday. And then you're going to teach the same lesson, the same thing, but do that the next Monday a little bit different. I thought, they can't get it the first time? What are you talking about? But I don't get it the first time. I have to go again and again. There's something about that repetition and that faithfulness. God will honor the faithfulness of coming again and again to the table, coming again and again to the table. And I realize I'm going a little bit long, so forgive me. Um, but if you find yourself in a place where this is not coming alive, change it up. Change it up. Go again and again and again. Don't give up. 
Sometimes you just got to get a new translation. To me, I've been all about the passion translation, and that's not my study. Like, I don't go and tear apart the words and all that in that one. But, it, but I, I, I've been running to the passion translation because it's just been ministering to me in a new way, in a fresh way. I've been seeing things that I haven't seen before, just like in Psalms 1. I've heard that a million times in my life. But it said it a little differently, and it captured my heart a little differently. So maybe get yourself a new translation. But, but you know, one of our classes that we had, you know, she, she talked about, you know, it was all about singing the scripture. And I, I realize not everyone likes to be a singer, but I think, I think you know, there's something powerful in saying things out loud and singing them out. And so she gave us these five things that we should do with the scripture. And I love it because, and I want to I give it to you guys as a try this and just see, just watch. The first one is to say it out loud, not just read it. You know what I mean? Not just read the words on the page because how many of you know reading does not always equal getting it in your belly? I can read something and it totally leave my brain. Say it out loud. The next one is to write it down, which we're going to try this in a minute. The next one is pray it out loud. Pray the scriptures over your life. Open up the word to the promises of God. There is even a Bible that has all of the promises of God highlighted and categorized for you if you need that. Go get yourself that Bible and go to the promises and begin to pray those promises over your life. Watch. Watch as the word becomes alive. Watch as God ministers to you and all of a sudden your delight is in this word because it's become real. It's become, it's become true to what God has, God's, what hap, what's happening in your life. Sing it out loud. I know y'all all sing at some point. Come on. You can, you can sing real quiet. It's okay. But sing it. Sing the word. You know, I love, I love it because uh, Julie Meyer, who was teaching, she was talking about how the first time she got up to do a worship set in this particular place, they gave her one scripture out of the Song of Songs and said, for the next hour and a half, I want you to sing this scripture. As she began to sing it, and as she began to meditate on it and, and, and search the depths of what it meant to her, what Christ was saying to her, what Christ was saying to the body, what he was speaking through this, it began to become real to her in a way she never knew. It's that meditating thing. And then decree it, which that's a lot like praying it, but like with some force. So like decree it over your life. I, I'm not all about the name it, claim it. I'm not all about that. But there are promises in this word. There are promises in this word that we can stand on. His word does not return void. It does not return void. And you better believe that when I am facing a battle, I'm looking to the word and I'm finding those victory things. And I'm saying, God, you have already won the war and you have already given me the victory over this. I don't have to, I don't care what my life looks like today. I am going to walk in the victory of God. I'm going to walk in the joy. Out of your beholding, you become more like him. You become more like him, and you walk in the promises of who he is. 
and says, I, I'm, this is a paraphrased version of that verse 3. You shall be like a tree with your roots deep in the soil right beside the rivers of water. These are not stagnant waters, but free-flowing, clean waters. They are always, there is always refreshment. You will never dry up and wither because there is a constant stream of water right beside you. You'll never dry up because there's a constant stream. There's a constant stream that you can, you can go to for refreshing, right? Even in the winter months when there's no fruit on your branches, the roots of the tree are going deeper and deeper, growing stronger and stronger. Even when you cannot see this with the natural eye, you are getting stronger and you will always bear fruit in season. As you stand, as you meditate on this word, as you worship in spirit and in truth, and this gets on the inside of you, you will always, always have enough. Worship team, y'all can come back up. And so I have a, I have a challenge for you because it challenged me in a way, that, that a new way. You know, I've always heard people talk about journal the scripture. And that sounds really nice, but they always have this format of, you know, it's, it's the SOAP version or the, you know, trust version or the whatever. They have, you know, their acronyms and all these things that you do. And, and there, was some, there was a thing that we did in this class that just stuck out to me because it was so simple. It was just write the word of God out and watch it become alive. Watch it change and look different in your life. And so we're going to just take some time here at right at the end and all of you should have gotten a paper if you haven't raise your hand if you need a pen I think the ushers have some pens um, but you should have gotten a paper it says it's real fancy it says journal across the top right um, and I just want to take some time to write out Psalm 23 pastor spoke this over the men last week and man I, I clung to that word. I clung to that word as a woman of the, of the house. But, but I think it's such a powerful word. And I want you to just write the scripture down. And write it with intentionality. Write it. Take your time. Don't be in a hurry. Don't write it down so that you got it in your notes. Write it and allow God to speak to you in a new way. Just as the worship team is, is playing and, and, and filling the, the room with some atmospheric music. Allow God to speak to you in a new way. And my challenge to you is this. Take the time to write out, because I promise you, it's, it's, it's going to open the door in a new way. You know, if you've never done this, maybe you have done it, but if you've never done this, it will open your eyes in a new way to what God is speaking to you. And so we're going to write this out, but my challenge is that you not just do this this morning, that you take time each day, find five, ten minutes, and write a portion of scripture out. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. For us, we took like, I mean, I think it was three minutes to write Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and God transformed me in a moment. He met me in that moment. And so go through the Psalms. Start at Psalms 1. We're going to start at Psalm 23 this morning, but go back to the beginning of Psalms and do it little portion by little portion and allow God to speak to you in a new way.